Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read, downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Now, my guest today is Phil Jeremiah. Phil has worked extensively with Frank Farrelly, the father of provocative therapy, and since then he's updated and developed this work to create his own unique methodologies, promoting the very serious use of humour to bring about change. He also has a background in psychotherapy, clinical hypnosis, brief strategic therapy, NLP, EFT, EMDR, CBT, life coaching, as well as extensive training in the fields of adult psychiatry and clinical risk assessments. Is there anything this guy hasn't done? Additionally, a couple of weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to attend a live workshop with Phil, so I got to see this man work his magic. And so it gives me great pleasure to welcome him today to the show. Welcome, Phil. Thank you very much, Howard. Pleasure. I'm hoping you can tell uh, everyone at home a little bit about yourself, what you do, and, and really how you got started. Um, well, I started out in the, uh, in the mists of time down in Wales uh, when I worked in the steelworks as a boy. And uh, I noticed then um, that there was a lot of humour. There was um, sometimes gentle teasing going on. Sometimes um, some people would get uh, a little bit over the top with the teasing. But there was always somebody to rein them in and say, that's enough. So the teasing, I think, was, um, you know, it helped people, um, you know, grow in, in response to, you know, life in general. Um, then I sort of, um, I suppose, morphed into uh, working in uh, hospitals. Um, I spent a lot of time as a child in hospital uh, in Wales. And funnily enough, I, I went back to the same hospital I worked in which I think the psychodynamic crowd would find very interesting. Um, so I sort of worked in operating theatres then, trained as a technician. So it was, you know, working with people, that, that was the start of it, even though most of the time the people were unconscious. Uh, but also there was a lot of humour in the theatres, never at the patient's expense, whereupon, again, it, it was a buffer because you, you were dealing with horrendous, situations literally and people died sometimes so you couldn't say well you know i can't handle this i, I need to leave the theater uh, i'll see you all tomorrow if i'm feeling you know you had to deal with it it, it was tough going but i'm sure and I, I know a lot of research is pointing at 
humour, you know, uh, creates a, it's almost like a fielder and it's, it's a buffer. And, and there's a sharing of, uh, you know, what's going on in, the, in those pretty, you know, hairy situations. Mm. I then, uh, you know, uh, again, my my sort of morphing continued then, where, whereupon I did a brief spell in psychiatric nursing. Uh, unfortunately, had a serious leg break and uh, didn't complete the training. So then I, I went back into, I thought, well, the psychiatric social workers have got an interesting job. So I, I trained, uh, went back to uni, and um, worked for nearly 25 years as a, as a mental health, senior mental health practitioner. But once again, always developing in-house training, looking at what was working. I remember talking about mindfulness 20-odd years ago, and it was poo-pooed a little bit, you know, a little bit woolly, new age, hippie, candles burning. But of course now, it's it's mainstream, and it's uh, part of the nice guidelines as well. So perhaps you can call me a futurist. Uh, I don't know, but... Uh, um, so, so there's been a, a combination, but it was always going way back in the midst of time, working with people, which I probably picked, you know, learned that sort of stuff when I, when I was a child in hospital for a long time with a very serious illness. But looking at, you know, the care that was going on and the care that I had off the nurses. So um, lots of roots into, into my, you know, I suppose, continual, you know, development of what I'm doing. You know, these days it's... Uh, neuroscience is a fascinating area as well um, because I like to to take bits of neuroscience and and give it to clients and say right this is what's going on and the explanation is so powerful you know when you when you're going to do some change work because they know that the brain can change you know mm-hmm. that's the the wonderful thing about neuroscience you know brain cells that uh, fire together wire together neuroplasticity. You start talking to clients about that stuff, and they love it. They they really do. Because one of the one of the things I really enjoyed about the workshop when I attended was um, you kept sort of dropping in um, real elements of concrete neuroscience. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, you, yeah. you talked about gamma spikes. Yeah. And um, and I thought that was interesting in relation to change work. Yeah, yeah. This is the um, you know um, I suppose the eureka moment that there is a neuroscientific basis for it and there's many ways to reach that you know that gamma spike um some neuroscientists talk about you you have to approach the the project the problem uh in a very intense way you go at it hammer and tongs then you leave it then you may get that eureka moment that aha moment uh it might be hours later sometimes it could be days later and I suppose we've we've all experienced that where we've been really having a go at something and think, oh, I'm not getting there at the moment. And then sometimes we leave it and all of a sudden, ping, in it comes. And and if you look at lots of acts of creativity, uh, Kessler's work, uh, I love Kessler's work uh, in his book, Act of Creativity. He goes into great detail about this, how people made breakthroughs over the years, how people played around as well and had, and had fun with stuff. And I think... I think that's what's been missing um, in, you know, I suppose, psychotherapy in general and in change work. Um, and again, lots of good neuroscientific research to back it up. When, when we're playing around, when we're having fun, then, you know, we've got more chance of solving problems. So, so would you argue that, um, I don't know whether argue is the right word, but would you... Yeah, be uh, careful, Howard. Don't start yeah, an argument Absolutely, with yeah. It starts yeah. with me to go on, eh? Um, yeah. 
w would you agree with the idea that um, a lot of people have difficulties or issues or problems or that they are perpetuated because in, in essence we take them too seriously? Well, yeah, I, I, th I think it's about pointing out to people. I always point out to people that uh, they have a choice and, and they can actually laugh at their issue, their problem, their concern, what's going on. They, they, they can laugh at it. We're not on about laughing at them. We're not on about not taking them seriously because there's a fine line. Uh, but we're on about, right, you know, you've, you've got a choice. And if I bring up examples of what Victor Frankl was doing in Auschwitz and other, uh, you know, death camps, they go, all right, then, yeah, I can do this. It's almost like you have to give people permission because I think we, we are conditioned by all the parameters into we've got to be serious about things, we've got to wear the mask of seriousness, and that's the only way through. It's the only way to learn. It's the only way we can come through this, and it's just not true. But you, you have to get people, you know, on side and say, right, you have a choice. You can laugh at this, you know, and and we do. I think at the workshop when I give the example of uh, uh, the whistle blowing at my father's funeral, you know, that was a that was a fine line, really. You know, should I uh, sh shall I tell you the tell you the story? So uh, mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Please people, fill people, everyone in because it was uh, it was um, a really interesting. Yeah, it story, was yeah. Um, it was it was something. Uh, my dad was a was a joker. He joked his way through the Second World War. He joked his way. I worked with him for a short time in the steelworks. Always a joker. Always playing around. Uh, almost like he was he was. I think the sixth member of the Marx Brothers. I'm sure of it. Um, and he would he would sometimes uh, when he was down in his workingmen's club down in Wales. Somebody was just about to take a drink, and he'd go up behind them with the referees with and blow. And of course, people would judder. They would uh, jump, usually tipping a little bit of their beer, and then there'd be a lot of cussing going on, and but smiling and laughing, saying bloody hell, you know what the hell's all that about? What's going on? So, so he he blew this whistle. Of course, when he passed away, I got the whistle because I'm uh, I'm Phil Jeremiah the fourth. My dad was Phil Jeremiah the third. I rarely use the title these days, of course. And um, my sister said, "Please don't blow that whistle at the funeral." And I said, "Well, Dad would have wanted me to blow the whistle." She said, "No, Philip." And I knew when she said Philip, I was in trouble. Don't blow the whistle. So. The funeral started, and you know, I was I was almost like split down the middle. There was part of me that was obviously grieving, sad, people crying in the church, and then the other part was saying, "What about the whistle? What about the whistle? When are you going to blow the whistle?" And I'm almost saying to myself, "Stop now! Stop now!" I had the whistle in my pocket, by the way. And then as we were coming out, you know, his favourite song, Danny Boy, was playing. And I thought, I can't blow the whistle now, surely not when Danny Boy's playing. And then we uh, got to the graveside, and I thought, I'm literally running out of time. You know, I'm never going to get to blow this whistle. And there we were at the graveside, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and all people putting the, the earth on the coffin. And as I was walking away, my cousin appeared. I hadn't seen him for 30-odd years. Uh, lives in London. He come, And he, he just come straight up to me and he didn't say I'm sorry to hear about your you know your loss and all this he comes out he said that old whistle your dad had and I went wow this is uh you know a moment pulled it out of my pocket I said this one he said yeah that's it and I blew the whistle and there was applause and laughter <laughs> but it was uh it was timing it, it was all about the timing um whether it was uh you know uh, a synchronicity, coincidence, or whatever. But for him just to come out and ask about the whistle, I thought that was really strange. But 
day. I uh, I, I seized the moment, and uh, even my sister was was smiling, and she said that was absolutely wonderful the way you blew the whistle when she previously said don't blow the whistle. Okay. So it, it's all about the you know the the timing. You know, it it is about learning how to get the timing right. I think when we use humour because it's so powerful. Um, and, and I think using humour in a serious way is the difference, I think, like I said at the workshop, between the light bulb and the laser beam. The photons are not in phase in a light bulb. They are in a laser beam, and they cut through steel. And I think humour can do that. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing what it can do when we get people, um, you know, ready to say, right, I can start. I, I've got a choice, and I, I can laugh at my issues and problems, so... It's uh, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, and it I think did, a good example. You know, I uh, doing that. It, it is indeed, and um, I th I think I mean the the use of humour within change work kind of goes against um, the stereotypical view that I think a lot of people, the general public, of might course. have about about therapy, yeah. and that they yeah. imagine therapy is you know you come in, you lie on a couch, and some and you say oh I'm depressed, and then the, yeah. the counsellor goes oh that's really terrible, and how do you feel? Yeah. It's awful, isn't it? And um, you know certainly the work that I saw you do, um, and through our conversations that we've had you know prior to this, um, it, it comes across that this is absolutely not how a, a session is with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, it, it's interesting how people are conditioned. We've all been conditioned into this is how you act as a patient. This is what you should do, and uh, you know this is how you should be. And then also the the, the therapist, the coach, the counsellor, they are they are also conditioned in even the way they sit. They usually sit. I, I noticed this working in psychiatry. They'd sit in the same position, and I used to think, you know the. The uh, you know the the counsellor the therapist is also stuck, and and they're also stuck uh, you know um, in their bodies as well. Uh, so I used to, I used to joke with some clients. I'd I'd get up and move around and pretend to smoke a pipe like Sherlock Holmes, and uh, you know this is a two pipe problem. And that used to impress some people, thinking oh it's a two pipe problem must be important then, uh, you know. Uh, and again pushing the order parameters and. Uh, you know, um, explaining to people that, that we, we can gain from disorder. You know, we do need chaos to give birth to a dancing star, as Nietzsche said. We do need chaos. And w when I do a, a bubble session, as you saw me doing in the workshop, mm. but I explain, right, I'm in the bubble of possibility and anything goes, then I'm going to, you know, I'm on the person's side. I, I'm the coach. I want the you know the gold medal i don't want the silver medal don't want the bronze i'm going after the gold medal and i'm telling people that as well so i will go at it hammer and tongs to have a goal and get some sort of solution for them as well and then i will use all sorts of methodologies to get that solution you know uh, and as you saw at the beginning there i i use what i call the, the percussion phase where i'm introducing this you know positive shock off the wall ideas different tonality of voice. I might even sing in a session because that completely throws people. You know, what, why is this guy singing? You know, having said, I will do anything and say anything to help. And what I'm doing there is, is you know, creating almost like a, a, a kind of concussion where, you know, the person is going into an altered state because we, we need to get... The, the brain is wonderful 
uh, at keeping, you know, the, the programs on a level of efficiency. And that's all right for some things. You know, you don't want to change your level of efficiency in the morning when you get up, make your coffee, clean your teeth out of the shower. You know, that's a good habit. Um, but other habits we know we need to break, we need to challenge them, we need to shake them up. Um, and then after part of this, what I call the PCD model, is the discussion then. Well, what happened? How did you feel? The discussion might be a week later as well. It might be a couple of weeks later. If I'm working with uh, clients in Holland, then I'll, I'll talk to them on the phone or with Skype as well to say, how is it continuing to unfold for you as well? So, uh, But you can clearly see this model um, you know, working. But also, when I'm teaching people, I say, right, you've really got to go for it. You know, because if you think about it, you've got to step outside yourself. You know, as Einstein said, you won't solve a problem with the thinking that created it. So we have to be different, you know. Uh, and then we've, then we've got a chance because I know the person has got the capability to solve the problem. I'm just shaking things up a bit and supporting them and then offering sometimes, yeah, real research and uh, real bits of philosophy to, uh, you know, to link in with what's going on when we do this, this, crazy bubble session it's like the theater of the absurd mm -hmm. uh you know where we where we're going to really go for it and i normally do a 20 minute bubble session you know and uh, really shake things up big time well the because when, when i saw the bubble session um and uh, just to let everyone know on the, on the workshop day i thought i think four bubble sessions and each one was was slightly different from the other but all had this kind of frenetic theater of the yeah, absurd yeah. about it and this idea of percussion concussion discussion um was was very yeah. interesting and um i mean for, for me there was method in that freneticness oh there is you know um i'm not just there when, when i'm talking about percussion start the session off all right what's the problem what's shaking down what's going on what's it all about then bursting into what's it all about alfie then you know that i'm i'm preparing you know the the bubble to to really shake things up and create you know i i need to shake that person out of the stuck the stuckness that they're in you know these stuck patterns that they're in and we know that positive shock is um is, is a wonderful thing sometimes because it resets the governors of the system in the brain and the mm. person goes oh I, I feel different about this you know we've we've probably lots of us have experienced that in our lives i say well and i do feel different something's happened i can't quite put my finger on it but i i've almost gone through this phase transition and you you have the, the you know there's that term from physics bifurcation where there's a splitting off you know in the brain uh, and then we herald new behaviours. We feel different. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it was fascinating seeing people, you know, sit sit opposite you and talk, you know, very briefly about a a problem that they were coming with, or yeah. coming in with, and then watching them react, you know, to you know a bloke in front of them, you know, singing and doing voices and yeah. coming out with yeah. absurd ideas. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when you talk about, you know, and you say to them again, well, what's the problem? And you literally watch their face go, um, yeah. uh, I, I, I don't really yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. You, it's like you can see visually there's some kind of pattern or something that's that's not firing anymore. Well, well, well that's kind of right. I think, um, yeah, you know, neuroscience have talked about this where, um, you know, if, if, if we're going to 
approach something, then uh, we we really do need to you know to shake things up differently. And then you know if we're going to retrieve that memory, we need to play around with it. We need to pull it. We need to uh, you know alter the you know the chemical makeup. And when we introduce something new to a situation. Um, then that's what's happening, and it's, it's almost like we, we we're contaminating it with the humor virus. We're tickling, you know, the the particular issue, and there's many issues that we can work with. Because if you do it with, you know, a, a twinkle in your eye, a big smiling heart, you can do it. Because most people, I don't think I've ever had anybody that said to me after a book session, I felt, uh, you know, really awful, and the things that you said. Uh, um, it's never happened because I know I'm, you know, every session I prepare myself. I'm only as good as the last session, mm. and I prepare myself right. Yeah, I've I've got to be centered, you know. I've almost I've got to be centered, ready to to do this piece of work as well. Because uh, uh, I because I know that you know it's 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 got the you know the possibility. Anything's possible when we you know really go after something. Because I I mean business as well. You know, I want the best for people. I mean that's that certainly came across um, when, when I saw you doing stuff. Um, and the other thing was, and it's interesting that you say that you know people people don't take offence. I think there are a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about, which is yep. um, one, um, very much there were a couple of people I think who maybe had a more clinical uh, psychotherapeutic background yep. uh, that had come along uh, and saw. And I was fascinated by their reaction to some of the stuff yep. that you did, which was. <gasps> I, I yeah. could never say that. That's kind well, of yeah, inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I when I train people in this, obviously, you know, we lay a good foundation. Um, so if I'm say working with a doctor, I don't expect the doctor to start using, you know, provocation, playful change, um, just out of the blue. We say, right, you, you, you're going to say to the patient, right, do you want to try something different? Uh, th- this is, uh, you know, the bubble of possibility as dreamed up by. Uh, Phil Jeremiah the fourth. Um, so we're going to go into the bubble. We're going to sit down. What I do get people to do on the train is write out your deduction script. You know, so you can you can almost like uh, design it, you know, to meet your clinical background. But basically, there's got to be elements in there that you know we're going to go after this. We're going to shake things up, and I'm going to have a go at the problem. And, and at that moment, I'm pointing the problems there just down to the left. You know, I'm pointing towards it, so I'm already externalising it. I'm not pointing to the person, never point at the person, point at the problem. Um, so people are, you know, briefed on um, how to go about doing this if they want to use it, because then, you know, they, they can have the, uh, the the bubble session, and afterwards they can have the discussion, and afterwards they can tie on with their hypnosis, their CBT, or whatever it is. So it's almost like a vessel in its own right that you can wheel in, step in the bubble, and step back out. It was interesting watching it because how it might look to the, I don't know, the untrained eye or someone seeing, you know, yeah. humour works for the first time. Yeah. Um, they might not get uh, really actually the subtlety of what's going on beneath that. Uh, and that there was a lot of, you know, I mean, you could argue and you could break it down and say, well, look, you know, uh, Phil was very good at non-verbally separating out the issue from the person's identity. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, but it and can it, just look like working, there's madness. Yeah, well, well, exactly. Um, obviously, the um, the workshop was it was a fusion of uh, some, you know, the bubble sessions, the uh, what I used to call thought-provoking dialogue. 
Um, and then there was obviously the, the clowning stuff that we did as well, the sacred clowning uh, piece that we did and and various other things. So so that was, you know, designed for that day because we were making a film, this documentary mm-hmm. about, you know, the use of humour in, in creativity and problem solving. So, so yeah, we, uh, when I'm, you know, obviously teaching, uh, we, we can, I, I can deconstruct everything what I do. And what I normally do if I'm teaching, I use um, what I call micro-teaching, which basically means we film a session, then we all sit round afterwards and we watch the session, and the only rule is to say stop. So if uh, one of the, the, the students or the people say, right, what were you doing there? What was your meaning behind that? I will explain in great detail what I was doing at that point. Very and very I've cool. always been able to do that because everything that comes out of my mouth is, is almost scanned uh, and fast-tracked in my brain. Uh, so I'm saying something for a reason. I'm not just doing or messing around, you know. As, mm. as you probably saw, you know, um, there, there was a lot of intuition going on there. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm on, I'm on the case, as it were, you know, mm. shaking things up and, uh, um, you know, using, I think in that last session, we used some props and masks, which was, uh, you know, uh, quite appropriate for the, for the presentation. So but I actually know what I'm doing and I can break it down, you know, for, for teaching purposes, because yeah. I need to, because people say, what the hell was going on there? And, um, even Frank Farrelly used to say to me, uh, the old professor, you know, father of provocative therapy, said, the trouble is with you, you're too fast. And I go, oh, fast, uh, Frank, I'm not too fast. You've just got slower as you've got older. And, of course, that would uh, rouse him up and he'd threaten to punch me. But I was I was a little bit quicker in those days. You know, I could move out of his way. So joking, mm-hmm. of course. Of, of course, of course. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, if you were doing, if, if someone went and saw, you know, an NLP practitioner, one of yeah. the first things that might happen is they might do some goal setting and, uh, you know, create mm-hmm. a, a smart outcome of where yeah. it was going. Um, yeah. But it doesn't seem, certainly within the bubble of possibility, um, it seemed to unfold. Uh, well, well, it does. You're working purely on what's presented. Obviously, uh, if I'm working in my clinical practice, I know the people, I've done the usual clinical history, have you had blood tests done, what's your diagnosis, are you involved with a psychiatrist, are you seeing the GP, I've already done all that, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes if somebody comes in with a flying phobia, I wouldn't even use a bubble session, I'd use one of the other tools in the, in the extensive toolbox, you know, um, but when you're actually doing the bubble, it is live. You, you're not going in there. I remember when I started out doing CBT when I was a, uh, you know, a baby back in the midst of time, and uh, I thought I've got to sit with this person. Um, goodness gracious me, there's an hour. What am I going to say? So I, I'd make sure I'd have a pile of papers next to me, filling in forms, various little exercises, CBT exercises, because I thought, you know, I'm going to dry up. Well, you know, it's uh, things have changed since those days, uh, but it requires a lot of, you know, a lot of practice. As I say to people, you know, you've uh, what you put in is what you get out as well. Because people say, well, where do you come up with all these facts and all this research, uh, um, especially the stuff that I'm not making up? Because I do make up research in sessions. You know, research shows. Um, but the re- well, I read. I read every day for about two hours. You know, I love reading, and it's always about neuroscience or quantum physics or mind-body stuff. Uh, you know, um, 
So, so I love what I do, and sometimes, you know, you, I suppose with any of this type of work, I think you've got to be committed. I, you know, when I worked in psychiatry, uh, some of my colleagues would say, uh, you're going to go on this course this weekend, yeah, you're going to pay for it yourself, yeah, uh, and then you're going to come back at the work on Monday morning, yeah, and, and then deliver what you, yeah, you know, because I'm, I'm fully committed, I love what I do, it's not a job. You know, I don't want to sound all wishy-washy, but it is a calling. You know, this is what I do. This is, as as Viktor Frankl, you know, the great psychiatrist used to ask his patients, you know, what's the meaning in your life? And um, if patients couldn't come up with meaning, and this is a question I ask the people I work with, then, then he'd be a bit more worried. It doesn't matter what the meaning is, whether you're filling the bags at the back of an Oxfam shop, climbing Mount Everest, it's so important to have meaning. My meaning is doing what I do. You know, I just love doing it. It's really amazing, and you know, it's it's nice that you have so much passion for it. Certainly, even even my even in my uh, you know tender years now, I'm still well, I, I, I still see, at it. I saw you. You can't, you can't be more than twenty-five. Uh, twenty-seven actually. I was oh, I, I twenty-seven. See. But there we. Yeah, the years haven't been kind to me as you say. <laughs> well, look, I um. As you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm very passionate about is getting this idea that, that rapid change can happen. Yep. I think yep. uh, there are a number of people out there, or a number of uh, uh, sort of thinking about culturally of, around change, which is people still mm-hmm. think that change has to take a long time. It's got to be about yep. deep analysis, understanding why you have a problem will make it somehow mm-hmm. magically go away. Given yep. your years of experience of doing this um, and... You know the the number of different fields that you've been uh, exposed yeah. to. What what's your take on all of those sorts of things? Um, yeah, I I think it's back to conditioning because we conditioned to thinking well, rapid change. Um, you know, there's no uh, gain without pain, and all. and we're conditioned into this, and it's the same in in uh, psychiatry and psychotherapy. Um, you know, it takes years, and uh, I, you know, the psychodynamic crowd, uh, you know, going over the same things. You know, my childhood was uh, wasn't very brilliant in terms of my illness. Why would I want to sit there and go over it again when it was bad enough the first time round? You know, mm-hmm. um, but I've certainly seen lots of examples where people change. Sometimes I remember one session I was doing a bubble session, and a guy had had a horrendous time, uh, divorce and stuff, and really. Uh, you know, at one stage he was, uh, uh, you know, uh, commit suicide. And it was in the session I started talking about, I uh, started mimicking uh, like a puppet. I was I was doing the, the puppet dance. And I said, that's you, that is, you know, puppet. And then all of a sudden I said, look at this, great big scissors comes across, clip, 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 clip. I think there was about five strings as I saw it, you know. And then all of a sudden I said, the puppet is loose. Bang, that was it. It was that one line of the puppet is loose really resonated with him. But I think it was the, the little puppet dance I was doing. And he said, yeah, that, that is me. I am like a puppet. And everybody's pulling my strings. But he said, when you did that, he said, bang. So he said, something went off in my head. You know, um, it was almost like an explosion in his head. He said, I felt so different. And he said, the puppet's loose. Uh, we did some subsequent sessions, and and he and he had that almost like on his T-shirt. The puppet is loose. He was proud of it, you know. Mm-hmm. 
So, so that was just a, an instant. The other, uh, another one that comes to mind, working in a, in a very serious setting where somebody's going to commit suicide. Mm. Um, I was in a, I had the, um, you know, the surrounds of a psychiatric hospital. I'd, I'd sectioned this person a couple of times under the mental health act. So I, I knew the person very well. And uh, so she comes up saying, I'm, I'm going to kill myself and all the rest. And I said, okay. I said, so I, I look at my diary. And I said, um, when are you thinking of doing it? She said, well, why do you need to know? I said, well, you know, my diary is absolutely full, which is true, by the way. And I said, if you kill yourself, then I can slot somebody else in that, you know, that time slot. She went, you uncaring, bleep, 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 you know. And I said, well, you know, I've, I've got a job to do as well, you know, and it's tough going, you know, and all the rest of it. Uh, and all of a sudden, it was like this smile on her face. Mm-hmm. And she went, I, get, I know what you're up to. She said, you're doing this reverse psychology stuff on me and all that. But that was the turning point. That was the turning point. To this day, I know that she's, she's not been back to a psychiatric hospital. You know, that, that was the turning point. So it was, but it was trusting. Um, some might say, all right, I had, I had psychiatric apparatus around me and worst case, and I, but, but I wouldn't have played around with somebody's life like that because I knew that she, you know, she needed to know that. You know, she needed to know that there's there's other realities out there. And, um, you know, people do, you know, people care as well, you know. Um, and, and that was a, you know, you know, I wouldn't, you know, when I'm teaching people, I don't recommend people to do that sort of stuff. That's, you know, that, that's, that's years of experience and having a good understanding of psychiatric systems as well, which is one of the courses that I teach to counsellors, therapists, life coaches as well, you know. Um, yeah. Because obviously we, it's sad to say that uh, you know, mental ill health is on the rise, uh, you know, because of the, um, do you remember I said, you know, we take more information in a single day than our great-grandparents did in their entire lifetime. Mm. They were absolutely bombarded. This is an ancient brain, you know. We, we haven't long walked out of the cave. Uh, we've got all this this masses of information. Hence, we see in more anxiety and depression and other uh, you know presentations as well. Just another theme that I wanted to kind of explore with you was, um, you know, typically the therapeutic model often focuses around you know establishing a connection or establishing a level of rapport with the uh, yeah. the client. Um, how does that fit in? with you know working uh sort of teasingly provocatively with someone could could someone argue well hang on you know aren't you, aren't you damaging rapport no because i I, th- I think you've got to feel secure in yourself i think uh, I I don't, I'm, what i mean is i don't think you have to uh, be on the couch 10 years yourself and uh, you know go into some sort of analytical uh, setup nothing wrong with that of course but you, you've got to feel You've got to believe in what you're doing. And I'm sure, and again, if we look at bits of neuroscience, you know, mirror neurons, you know, if you sit next to somebody who's in pain, then your, uh, you know, uh, pain receptors switch on in your brain. We call that, uh, you know, empathy. So there's a neuroscientific basis for empathy. But we need to know about that. How many people do I know that got burned out, you know, uh, you know, doing client work uh, because they you know it was almost like they they felt the you know the patients the clients pain too much 
So you, you have to, you know, feel, you know, centered in yourself. You've got to know when to, it's almost like a graphic equalizer where you slide in then you slide back out sometimes. Otherwise, um, I, I think in doing this kind of work sometimes, you can get seriously damaged yourself if you're not aware of what you're doing. Um, you know, and I think even some experienced clinicians are not aware of that, you know. When I talk to some of my psychiatric colleagues, uh, they say, well, you're talking a different language. I've always found that strange because I think it's getting better these days, but many years ago, you never went into neuroscience. You never went into the brain in great detail. It was, a, you know, uh, you, you get the diagnosis and the, and the medical model provided the rest, uh, you know, with the right kind of pharmacy, with the odd little bit of, you know, therapy on the side sort of thing. Mm. So I, th I think you've got to... You, you've got to, you know, feel, you know, I don't want to use you use the word confident, uh, but you've got to be competent with uh, with what you're doing and believe in what you're doing. And I'm sure that that connects. Because then when I look at somebody and they look into my eyes, they know I mean business. I'm on their side. I want what's mm -hmm. best for them. But I ain't going to take any nonsense either. I'm, I'm going to go for it. You know, I'm going to, um, you know, I'm the coach. I, I want the uh, I want the gold medal. And as we know, uh, you know, there's a fine line between brilliant coaches and somebody that's average. You mm. know? Well, I've, I've talked before with people on these podcasts around um, a, a phrase, and I don't know whether I coined it or it's just come out somewhere else, but the battle of the trance, which yeah. is some, some people kind yeah. of come in and they, uh, you know, if you're not careful as a therapist, you yeah. know, they're, they're already taking their problems so seriously that yeah. you can kind of yeah. go, oh, God, well, yeah, other ones I could help, but this one is really screwed. Oh, no. Well, well, yeah, exactly. We, you know, we, um, we, 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 um, we're in and out of the trans states all the time, are we not? You know, uh, I remember I, when I was working in psychiatry, I saw this woman and it was absolutely horrendous. Uh, you know, I hadn't been working there long and, uh, I thought, oh my God, I'm really worried about this woman because she poured it all out, almost like, uh, you know, sucked me dry sort of thing, like an emotional vacuum cleaner. And I thought, oh my God, yeah, so I'll see you next week. And I'm really worried and all this. So I thought, I need to go up the road and get a sandwich. So I went up to this uh, you know, shopping centre outside uh, Birmingham. And there she was with a friend, laughing and joking. You know, I didn't approach her. And I thought, what? I've just seen it. She, she'd obviously brought that stuff in for me to see. Mm. She'd unpacked it, but she had other elements of her life as well, you know. Uh, and, and it is about trances that, that we go into. As you ever, you know, been in a situation where somebody's phoned in sick for work, right? And, and they might have, um, you know, they might have broken their foot, but then all of a sudden the voice changes. Hello, oh, it's uh, it's Phil. Yeah, I won't be coming in today. Um, you know, uh, you know because um, I broke my foot. Like saying, is there something wrong with your voice, Phil? No, no, no. Actually, no. It's it's my foot. Well, why are you talking like that then? So, you know, and you might have seen a bit of that in the in the bubble session where I get people to change their voices or change um, their state by operating out of a different emotion. Mm. So if somebody's there and um, you know. They're depressed and they've got to use a bubbly voice. Goodness gracious me, you see the change because they know we play in this game called the molecules of emotion, where we put shake shake all of the emotions in a in a box, and when they pull them out, they have to act out of it. I'm doing it, and then the client's doing it. So we take turns. We might do three or four in twenty minutes, and it's amazing the shift 
when they're almost like forced, in, in a way, to speak out of a different tonality of voice, uh, which goes against, you know, the, the grain of what they what they've actually presented with. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a game for all the family, the molecules of emotion, and it, sh- it should be uh, out this Christmas, actually. So. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Well, it'll be yeah. uh, available in all good bookshops. Yes. Or good game shops, I should say. Good game shops, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Well, and bookshops, Howard, to be honest. Uh, you know, and bookshops, yeah. In fact, everywhere. It's going to be available yeah. everywhere. Yes, yes. And that's, if that's not true, it should be. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, are there any... Uh, what I would say, if someone wants to get good at creating change, from your experience, get, how should they go about it? What they, should they be looking at, reading, doing? How would you go about it? What advice would you give? Um, I, I would say, obviously, look at now that there's there's fantastic resources in terms of neuroscience uh, and, and linked with creativity specifically. Um, I can't just name one book. Mm. Uh, you know, there, there's absolutely... Uh, shed loads of books on the subject. I think that's a good starting point. Um, get a good introduction to neuroscience. Once again, there's some great online courses. There, there's great literature out there, um, you know, um, and understanding what's going on in the meat machine. When you start to understand you know, the, meat, the meat machine is like a ramshackled old house and many rooms have been added through our, uh, you know, evolution, then you know that one room is not communicating with another room. And when you know that, there's almost, when you tell people this as well, or people understand this, there's almost a smile on the face and go, all oh, right, that, you know, that makes sense then. You know, there's, uh, you know, if, if we're using a metaphor of the chimp, uh, you know, for the amygdala, the emotional manager in the brain, then we say, yeah, you know, you, you know your chimps are operating out of, out of a different time, you know, savannah time, really. So you have to start a new kind of dialogue, you know, with the chimp just don't do that in public, you know, or around other psychotherapists, otherwise they'll be uh, uh, suspecting something else is going on. So, uh, so so, it's getting a good understanding. Like I said, there's so much out there now on, on neuroscience of creativity, and there has been for a long time, but obviously it's also at the forefront now. There's even neuromarketing, which is where, you know, a lot of, I, I do a lot of work for corporate companies, and they're really interested in the neuroscience of how the brain works and how, how can they sell more stuff to people. Mm. So you walk into a store and you see a pile of, uh, you know, Rolex watches. I can't afford a Rolex, but uh, there's a watch there. It's uh, 200 quid. All right, I'm having that. So already you would dopamine buttons have been pressed. So you, you will, you know, undergo a little bit of cognitive dissonance in your brain and uh, justify uh, why you're not going to have the Rolex. You've never really liked Rolex, anyway, but you're having that other watch there, you know, that 200 quid watch. Uh, they press your buttons, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's like it's somebody that goes outside for, for a fag, uh, you know, in work, you know, they, they release in more dopamine and other pleasure chemicals than actually smoking the thing, you know. So, so they've been conditioned there once again. So beginning to understand this, you start to get this, aha moment yourself and go all right yeah i can uh, you know i can i can bring about some change as well and and the change can be accelerated you know by by using humor having fun you know shaking things up a little bit you know what was it einstein said creativity is intelligence having fun i like that. 
Well, listen, is, is there is there anything that we, you know, when, when I said, let, let's talk about rapid change and uh, invited you to do the, 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 the podcast, was there anything that you thought would come up about rapid change or things that, that have sort of been milling around in your uh, frenetic mind that would be good to, um, you know, talk about? I think preparation is everything and, and also... Uh, you know, repetition in terms of if, if you are the, uh, whatever you're calling yourself, the coach, the clinician, the therapist, the counsellor, uh, you've got to put the work in, I think, as well. I think there's been lots of courses out there. Um, you know, I love NLP, trained in NLP years ago, but then, you know, do NLP in a week and stuff, you know, and a lot of people bought into that. I, I was never convinced of that. I think, it, yes, it gave you a grounding, but then to go out there and, you know, you know, let yourself loose on somebody's brain using this stuff when other things could, uh, you know, be, be popping up, then I, I think you have to do your do your research and feel, you know, comfortable in, in your own skin when, you know, when you're doing this stuff. Uh, but also believe that something is going to happen. You know, I always believe something is going to happen in a session, you know. Uh, and I'm never satisfied if nothing happens. Uh, sometimes I'm not satisfied Then a year, a week later, something's happened. That's what I call the time release capsule uh, that goes off in somebody's brain. You know, when they get that ha-ha, eureka moment, sometimes a week later, usually at the, you know, the checkout of one of the major supermarkets, and, uh, you know, that's a, a sight to behold, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it's all about, um, you know, I, I think you've got to, with rapid change, you, you've, you've got to do your apprenticeship. My apprenticeship, I'm, I'm in my my, 60, my 62nd year at the, at the moment, uh, but I, I'm still an apprentice. I'm still, you know, developing systems. I don't sit on my laurels. Uh, well, you know, I've done a degree and I've done a couple of courses and that's it. I think we've got to, it's, it's um, you know, you've got to put yourself in the mind gym. You, you've got to be pumping iron, uh, you know, uh, in, in your own mind gym, and every day, I believe, you know, um, some people might agree with that, some people might disagree. I might be right, I might be wrong. Uh, but I, I think you've got to uh, continually update yourself. And, all, and again, all the newer science is pointing to that, about mm. what is updating ourselves every day. Uh, I'm not thinking, well, I do the crossword every day, I'm never going to get a dementia-type uh, illness. Well... They're actually saying you, you need to vary it a bit more than just doing the crossword because you actually your brain actually gets used to doing the crossword, and then it will it will go back into the uh, efficiency uh, program. So you're not really pushing your own boundaries. You're not forging new pathways. Uh, so if you see a nice smooth uh, pavement, and then the opposite side of the street, a part of the old town, there's cobbles. Go walk on the cobbles because mm. your brain has to adjust you going off road when you walk on the cobbles so so it's constantly about updating oneself uh, and then you can really feel good about bringing you know rapid change uh, around in people's lives you know and then making yourself redundant and then moving on to the next person or persons yeah as I opposed mean... to being conditioned in you've got to be on the couch for 10 years uh, there, as far as i know there's never been any research between long-term or short-term therapy you know, it's, it's sometimes it's about the relationship of the you know the person delivering the stuff. Again, there's there is some research on that. You know. Listen, if uh, if people are listening to the podcast 
and they're keen to hear more from you and uh, want to hear more about uh, humor works and all the stuff that you do in terms of helping people change um, how can they get in touch with you where should they go um, well there's the web uh, website uh, even the, the website of course uh, which is for people wearing flippers uh, uh, the website is uh, uh, humorworks.com humorworks is spelt with a, with, a, with a lovely X on the end we will put the link on the uh, yeah on the website uh, yep. rapidchange.works and uh, again on the information uh, under iTunes as well and on Stitcher so it'll all be there so people should yeah, be able to find Yeah and if anybody nice wants to, to ring up and have a chat direct I haven't got a problem with that at all I'll, I'll speak to anybody Fantastic yeah. Thank you so much Phil it's been uh, absolutely fascinating talking to you and getting a flavour of some of the stuff that you do and your way of approaching Well stuff. I hope so Howard I hope so the, the work's ongoing but uh, you know it's a, it's a wonderful thing and it's about you know the serious use of humour but we must explain that to the people that we're working with then you know it's usually um, you know the client the patient gets it sometimes I do struggle teaching some of the more ingrained psychotherapist as well but uh, there's always hope there's always hope there's always hope and what a, yeah. what a, what a wonderful way to uh, note to leave the podcast on that there is always hope you heard it yeah. here first that's right thank you thank you I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did why not share it with anyone you think might be interested and even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change works. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at rapidchange.works. 